UK Motor Talk 2021. Hello, welcome, good afternoon, evening, good morning, or whatever it is, whenever you're listening to us. It's lovely to be back again. This is 2021, and what optimism we have for a whole new year, and uh, so much has changed since we last... No, actually, it hasn't really, is it? But anyway, I'm Mike, I'm here. I'm Jim. Is it 2022 yet? <laughs> Wishful thinking, Jim. Uh, I'm Graham, and I also have been looking forward to a, another year in the future. And I'm David, and I'm experiencing Groundhog Day at this very moment. <laughs> I think we all are, but... One thing that I found amusing in the news this week, and it's kind of automotive related, so you'll forgive me the digression. And this is that truck drivers that have been, well, unfortunately parked up for a lot of the time, I think, and then forced to wait on the other side of the border, have had their ham and cheese sandwiches confiscated because, well, it's, it might pose a risk. Is it just ham and cheese or just ham? Just like, is peanut butter okay? Or Well, I don't know, maybe. But ham seems to be a massive problem. And this seems to have triggered a whole load of gammon, which I find hugely amusing <laughs> in, in, in its irony. Otherwise, have you guys seen anything that's, that's tickled the pickle uh, this week or just tickled you? Maybe not tickled the pickle. I'm afraid not. Nothing's made me laugh this week. <laughs> Excellent. Just seems to be more doom and gloom. It's as I was saying earlier in my introduction, it's Groundhog Day. We're back where we were, but hopefully we can draw some positivity out of this. At least, at least we got a vaccine coming, which will date this. If uh, there's still no vaccine this time next year, I apologise for bringing false optimism in, but at least we got that to come this year, which fingers crossed, fingers crossed means we might actually get out and about a bit this year. But Lord... Well, I think uh, I think fair play to the um, the vaccine rollout scheme because I've I've never felt quite as reassured on the daily press conference because it's uh, you know it's going to be middling news when it opens to the uh, you know the old wood panelled room with uh, the three podiums and everybody walks in and off you go you know it's just going to be sort of slides and a bit of doom and gloom you know if Boris is sat down with a British flag on uh, on the desk it's bad news if he sat down with two British flags in the background it's even worse news but I felt it was it was a hell of a shock when the uh, the first person that walked in was a bloke wearing an army uniform I thought okay this is either going very 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 badly or the army have just decided right we're going to do this let us get on with it and, um, and that's crosser. pretty much what he said with the uh, with the vaccine rollout program, didn't he? I think and we're we're up to what two and a half million people now have been vaccinated, and, and yeah. I think that's that's way ahead of most other countries. So fair play to the British Army, and uh, we always need to be grateful and thankful for our army. But uh, another uh, another little golf clap round of applause for the army there because they're uh, doing a rather good job of that. Possibly using bayonets is not a terribly good idea. <laughs> yeah, Sergeant but, Major uh, screaming, you. Screaming at grandmothers queuing up outside the uh, the grandstand at Epsom Racecourse. That's probably how they're doing it. Oh, I do feel the mask-wearing policy would be better adhered to if there was a man with a fixed bayonet instructing you <laughs> yeah. to put a mask on. Well, no, now you the army's involved. Now they've got a taste for it. Now we can maybe just introduce them gradually into more aspects of the whole COVID unpleasantness. In terms of logistics, though, they, there is no one better. I know people get upset when the army gets involved with bits and pieces. But that's kind of how it needs to be at the moment, because let's face it, it's it's a tough logistical challenge. And lots of uh, the guys that that um, are in the army will be able to drive lorries and all kinds of different bits and pieces. They've got lots of vehicles, lots of expertise. They've got the discipline. They don't go home when they get bored. They've they have to carry on doing what they're doing. So it makes a hell of a lot of sense to use them. In other news, I see that uh, <laughs> some other random companies have offered to help now. The luxury of being able to podcast from home is that I can sit here and drink a beer, which is fantastic, because I don't need to drive anywhere after. Not that I can drive anywhere anyway, because, let's face it, we're locked down and you can't go anywhere. Brewdog have, have offered up their um, their fridges, because they've got a huge amount of space to be able to, to store vaccines and to be able to distribute them there, and staff that they say are willing to help with distribution, and why not? I like BrewDog products as well. They taste very nice. So if uh, if you do work for BrewDog and you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, you don't don't need to send us cash. Just send us liquid refreshment. Then uh, then pop a couple of cans in the post to UK Motor Talk, PO Box seventy eight. It'll free up room in your fridges, if nothing else, won't it? Anyway, on to things automotive. I like the story one of you lads sent me about uh, Darren Turner. 
and uh, the Aston Martin Bulldog that they're rebuilding to see if uh, he can hit 200 in it. He's a very nice, very likeable guy. He's incredibly quick. I hadn't realised that he's now Aston Martin's test driver. And uh, he was sort of aware that they'd had this project in the 80s of this um, Bulldog, which I think is an incredibly ugly car. But then it's sort of Giugiaro 80s design, horrible thing, Ooh. of its time. See, there's something nice about a Giugiaro 80s design. They're, uh, they are quite timeless, I think. It's a bit Tesla Cybertruck. A bit angular for my test. But uh, 237 was the calculated top speed, but it didn't get there. It got to 191 at Myra, and now they're uh, hoping to get it over 200. But... Uh, It'll be interesting to see. They don't actually say in, in all the press stuff that they've put out on the subject where they're going to do that because I don't think Myra is capable of, of a sustained speed greater than that. I know when they did the XJ220, I think that was Nardo in Italy, which yeah, is one it was. of the fastest yeah. test facilities in the world, I think. That's where the McLaren did its top speed as well, I think. Oh, Nardo. Nardo's famous, the huge bowl. Is Nardo the one that, that follows the curve of the Earth or something? Like, you can't see the end of it because it disappears over the horizon. Is that the well, one? Well, it's, it's, it's that big, yeah. I think that's that's the case. Mind you, the half of America wouldn't even believe in the existence of such a place because the Earth's flat anyway. So. <laughs> My suggestion would be that they should do it. You know when you're in a 50-mile-an-hour stretch and they've got average speed cameras and then it goes to national? doesn't matter where, just there. Because that moment when it suddenly the speed limit changes, it's basically law that you put your foot as hard down as it will go and then a bit further just to get to... 70 miles an hour, obviously no faster, as quickly as you possibly can between the 50 and 70 bit. But if they did it there, cars are statistically faster um, in that little bit just after a, a 50 mile an hour restriction for the last two miles. Thank you very much. Aston Martin do have a bit of form in this area. Where a friend of mine, Les Gobel, used to be their test driver until he retired probably about seven, eight years ago. But anyway, Les telling me the story of when they came out with the Vanquish and the first few clients discovered they'd got some sort of high-speed braking problems, which the engineers couldn't solve. And he then acquired the job of, uh, on the then unrestricted parts of German uh, motorways, of driving himself and the engineer with a laptop strapped to him, hitting the brakes at uh, 170, 180 every time. <laughs> Obviously checking there was nobody behind them, but, um, but just getting up to that sort of speed and then hitting the brakes and... Seeing what happens, uh, that's what test drivers, I think, get paid an awful lot of money for. Well, that, uh, that reminds me of my old dealership where we had a customer uh, complaining of a, a wheel wobble. So we'd, you know, taken the front tyres off, balanced them, checked they weren't buckled, etc. Pop, you know, perfectly balanced, popped them back on and, uh, and off he went. Came back, no, still doing it. Don't think it is. Well, I took it out up the dual carriageway and back again. Nope, definitely not. You know, fingertips on the steering wheel. Nope, can't feel a thing. This this was an exige, so it's you know it's not going to be the most uh, plush vehicle in the world. But a- absolutely no no problem at all. Um, but you know, check them on the balancer again. No, it's all fine. Check the track rod ends and the steering rack. Blah blah blah. No, it's all fine. Everything's tight. Off he went. No, no, still doing it. So like, what? What's what speed exactly are you doing when when uh, when it wobbles? It was like oh one one three five one forty. It's like right. Okay, we we can't help you with that here, uh, unfortunately, because <laughs> it's sort of a bit dangerous to do that on the dual carriageway just outside of Guildford. I can give you the number of our German agents if you fancy a trip abroad. He may very well be able to help you. Well, well, Silverstone, we could have met him at Silverstone, couldn't we? And uh, down the hangar straight, you'd uh, you'd get up to that and see how you got on. But yeah, funny old world. Maybe just assume that that was how you were normally meant to be driving Lotus or Lotai, Lotus's products. Yeah, it's not an unusual assumption, to be fair. If the top speed is 140, then it should do 140 and work at 140 but yeah well they're they're a certain breed aren't they lotus drivers <laughs> passionate that's the word we're looking for there passionate that's the enthusiastic yes, that's the one i was going to say just just alienating <laughs> but possibly two-thirds of our audience or maybe none of our audience who knows if you drive a lotus and you are concerned and outraged at jim's comments then write to us at uk motor talk towers po box whatever it is and, oh, yeah, uh, there weren't we my will... comments. I, I like Lotai and Lotuses. Oh, so, you're so right. That I. was Dave's comment, wasn't it? I wasn't having Ooh. a go at anybody or Lotus. I was just saying it's the sort of person that drives a Lotus is the sort of person that is going to say, if it does 135, I'm going to make sure it damn well does 135, in my experience. Retractions can be provided, but there is a fee. <laughs> terms, terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 
And so if you have been offended, hurt or wounded by Dave's comments, write to us at I've got beef with Dave, UK Motor Talk, Cowers <laughs> PO Box, whatever it is. And we will do our best to make sure that letter eventually gets to him when one day we can see each other again. Because frankly, it's expensive to send post on, isn't it? Since we last spoke, I got hit by a postie on one of those rare occasions that I decided to get out of the office for half an hour, get a bit of fresh air. Went round the corner, I'd parked in the lay-by uh, next to the local shop, and then, yes, she just came straight in at an angle uh, and managed to just scuff the front corner of the Mini, which was most upsetting, but nevertheless, these things happen. She got out and did say, oh, sorry, I normally drive better than that. Uh, which I thought was... Which, <laughs> <laughs> so she doesn't drive into anyone. This is... Let's face it, at the moment, you, you can't really do a whole lot of driving. So whereas we'd normally be talking about what fantastic drives we've been up to and where we've been, uh, unfortunately, at the moment, not a lot of people want us driving their cars. One. Two, you can't go out unless it's an essential journey. Um, and thankfully, there are a couple of us that are key workers because, well, you know, if you have to go to work, that's what you are. But yes, I got out of the car and thought, ah, that's, yeah, that's, that's probably a fair comment. Usually you don't just drive into people most of the time, which, which I said. Um, but she was a very friendly postie, um, if not massively concerned, but still happy to get the car fixed. But they've, uh, the, the post office, because they don't have enough vehicles at the moment to allow people to distance, are making the posties use their own cars, which I think is a bit harsh, actually. <laughs> I think that's very harsh. It probably raises the question over whether they're insured or not. Mm, well, yeah. It doesn't seem to apply to our post, do you? I, I, he's, he's nearing retirement. He has the most damaged vehicle I've ever seen that hasn't actually been in a demolition derby. Um, and when I quizzed him about it one day, there's not a straight panel on the vehicle. Uh, when I quizzed him about it one day, he said, no, he said, they, they'll only let me have this one because I did most of the damage. So... <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's fair enough, isn't it? You bend it, you drive it. Yeah, exactly so, yes. I do worry when he reverses into my drive when there's a car park there. Talking of um, postmen using their own vehicles, you know in the States it's quite common that you have post agents because it's such a big place and there are such wild tracts of land that they can't be bothered to have the proper postal service serving. So they have agents who work for them and there's quite a big market in having right-hand drive cars so that you don't have to get out of the car in this wilderness that you are serving and obviously american post boxes are mounted at the end of the drive so they just drive up pulled out reading out the uh, what would be the passenger side but it's actually the driver's side and open it put the post in the box take the post out and then off they go so there's a lot of uh, former japanese domestic market cars doing the rounds in the states as uh, as postal vehicles and lovely lovely story yeah interestingly uh, i saw on one of the i think it was either bring a trailer or um uh, cars and bids there was a an american market people carrier you know one of the ones that became the Vauxhall Sintra whatever it is the I can't, oh, I can't yeah. Chrysler something or other um that was still left-hand drive that had been <laughs> heavily modified using some sort of rack and pinion and a steering belt from the God. driver's seat with oh, pedals and, and all sorts of things and the indicator stick had been modified so there was just a bent bit of coat hanger wire going across the dash i'm doing this is making great radio i'm actually drawing this so i can actually place it in my mind that goes across to hook the um the indicator stick up and down from the driver's side i'll um i'll that's see brilliant. if I, i'll see if i can find a picture of it because oh jalopnik that's what it was he was on jalopnik look that up it ah, was, uh, yeah. yeah highly highly what's heath robinson that's the phrase heath robinson love well, it we did uh, we actually did have at work for uh, stuck in stock for ages a left-hand drive b-backs it was a cancelled order the guy cancelled the order the day it arrived on a transporter which was most irritating so it was too late to say no we don't want it but actually we did have a test drive on it once because somebody really wanted to test drive a b-max which was odd uh, but he said well we've only got a left-hand drive but they used to live abroad for years so they're quite happy with a left-hand drive so off they went and uh, i did i did make the joke at the time i said well it's, it is handy for posting letters you know I'll, I'll do you a good deal on this one as we've got it in stock shoved sideways up as and um, but yeah, they, they considered it for a bit, but went for a right-hand drive one in the end. But and then a, a lovely chap who lived in Beirut then bought that uh, that Bmax. So I suspect that's uh, probably cars in bits now, as we say. Horses for courses, isn't it? You, you really want a left-hand drive vehicle if you regularly drive in 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 Europe. And I was at a test day at Silverstone in the eighties when they. 
they brought in, I think it was the first Volvo 850 in the country, and it, 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 the, the minder was John, John Cleland, and it was a left hooker, uh, and I'd, I'd really, you know, had a good day getting getting my, my turning points and, you know, all the apexes just nice and tidy, and I jump into a left hooker, and I'm missing everything by seven or eight feet. You know, it's just it's just miles away, and it, it was it was acutely embarrassing in front of John John Cleland because he did know what he was doing. It is a bit tricky when you get into that left hand for the certainly for the first time or till you get used to it. The biggest problem though is when you decide to go to a drive through because the only way to make it really work is to go through backwards, and they get really upset about it. They're really upset about it, and the same thing happens when you get to barriers. I'm sure I forget where I was delivering one too. But wherever it was, we ended up at a, a, a toll booth and you had to sort of get out and run around the other side to go and pay the person and then run back into the car. Um, that It can be a bit embarrassing, but there, there's something that is quite enjoyable about driving a left hooker, apart from the fact that you just occasionally punch the door card when you go to change gear without thinking about it. I managed to confuse the uh, the chap in the passport office at the Channel Tunnel one day because I, I left early in the morning in a left-hand drive silver S-Max that I was delivering out to a, a chap who was holed up in a hotel in France because he, uh, he got to the um, the Channel Tunnel, realised he'd picked up his wife's overnight bag with his wife's passport in it by mistake. So we uh, rejigged the uh, the tickets. Um, so I headed off in his car, met him in a hotel, but headed over there in a left-hand drive silver S-Max, um, saw the guy at the passport office, and on the return I was in a right-hand drive silver S-Max, but saw the same guy uh, at the passport office coming back in, and, and he looked, there was a bit of a double take, and he looked most confused. And Did I see you this morning? Yes. And he went... You in this car? Well, I was in a silver S Max, yeah, and it, uh, yeah, it was most, uh, most confusing for him. But that was a good day driving left hand drive and right hand drive on the right side of the road, the wrong side of the road, the wrong side of the road, then the right side of the road. But I just about remembered and managed to stay on the correct side of the road at all times. I think. It used to be said that the uh, the biggest pile of crunch plastic was actually on the first roundabout out of Dover, inbound, <laughs> because people <laughs> would tend. Yeah, having having spent two or three weeks driving in Europe, they'd then go the wrong way around the roundabout, and uh, <laughs> nose would meet nose, and there was lots of crunch plastic. I rented a car to a chap, uh, American chap, and he pulled straight out the end of the road and turned right straight into oncoming traffic and hit a car. He was obviously only crawling, but the person was coming down the road at 30 miles an hour and a 30, as you probably expect, and he got out and went Oof. mad at the person who he'd hit, despite the fact he was obviously on the wrong side of the road. It was a really challenging conversation to try and explain to him that he was wrong, and you just, you just wouldn't have it. Whenever my sister comes over from uh, America, which hasn't been for, well, well over a year now, because she didn't manage to make it over before uh, lockdown one, uh, but yeah, whenever I'd lend her a car, I'd just write, drive on the left on a bit of a masking <laughs> tape and stick it to the steering wheel for her just to remind her well this, this is a very serious problem though i mean some of the scottish islands have had to put up very similar signs to that kind of post-it note because tourists are going there enjoying the country roads and are on the wrong side of the road and the locals are getting rather fed up with it i can imagine mm. yeah you get you get a bit hacked off with that wouldn't you but i'd always if you were i think the way they they feed you into the the road network in um, certainly in France and, and to a lesser extent this country is, is quite straightforward. You can't really get it too wrong. Uh, and I think they've even made that roundabout a little bit more just just slightly angled off to the right. So it makes it almost impossible to, to try and go the wrong way around it. I always used to find if, if I was driving abroad, it was OK until I'd parked up somewhere you know if I parked up in a town gone off gone for a bite to eat or whatever then you get back in the car it was just that you'd almost lapse back into it if you stop in the services or something like that it's it's dead easy you don't get a choice you just get fed out onto the motorway uh, or the autobahn and that's it off you go but it's a uh, yeah when you come to the first town then you've got to think about turning left or right that's when it gets awkward they used to say one of the commonest places to come a cropper it, certainly in France was not the motorway services which as you say are generally very clear but, but smaller garages on smaller mm. roads where it's very, very easy to turn the wrong way out of uh, the forecourt. And, and it happens apparently quite a lot, whether it's less so now, but that always used to be the case. I think the only twitchy ring moment I've had that's been qu- uh, kind of <laughs> like this 
was Jim and I were on a test day and we were driving all kinds of off-road bits and pieces and we had a little tour, a little go in a, a Ranger Raptor and this was at the, where's the Vauxhall test track place? The uh, the big ring, can't take photos inside it. Millbrook. Millbrook. It was Mil- Millbrook. That's it. Yeah, yeah, it's Vauxhall. Yes. So, so Jim and I, blah, 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 blah. and that was at uh, Millbrook. <laughs> yeah, it was a Vauxhall thing originally. Yeah, so, so Jim and I were on a test day. It was, wasn't it? So Jim, Jim, it was. <laughs> Jim and I were at a test day, and we were driving all manner of bits and pieces at Millbrook. And I finally remember where it was. Cause, That's uh, the old Vauxhall place, isn't remember it? This. That is the old Vauxhall place. <laughs> and we were, uh, we were absolutely storming along up a hill. Um, through this off-road section, you could get some pretty decent speed up. It was it was absolutely fantastic. I went around the first bend, went around the second, and the instructor went, "You realise it's a two-way road, right?" <laughs> and they were going to take the racing line through everything. Like, Is it? Like, what? Uh, yes, they were testing all kinds. I think they were testing a proper off-road dump truck, and this thing was like the size of a lorry, and it met it coming around sort of the third bend, a bit higher up. Like, oh my god! <laughs> I'm pleased I knew about that eventually. Um, but yeah, two two way road. Just casually mention it when you're halfway through and doing a reasonable pace by that point. Great fun um, until that moment. But I certainly had a, a twitchy bum time as I, as I barreled into the next corner. And the other thing is, and I, I didn't realise this, when you go round on on the bowl on the sort of the, the big oval that runs around the outside, you can get up to a reasonable amount of, of speed because it's it's banked. A speeding warning pops up on the dash. The the instructor has a little uh, um, a little app on their phone and it pings up to tell you that you've exceeded the speed limit. I was told just to catch up with um, with the car in front because we were testing. I can't remember if it's autonomous braking or something similar. I can't remember what it was. Autonomous. I think it was, it was cruise lane, control, lane keeping and radar guided cruise, wasn't it? That's what it was. And I came up behind a bus. A bus was in the way, so yeah, you move around it and they said catch up with the car in front to test it. So I put my foot down to catch up, thinking, well, I'm not on a road. And it pinged up with an endorsement. I didn't realise this. It turns out that, yes, you can get yourself into, into a fair bit of trouble. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded. But when he asked you what your name was, you gave him my name. Well, I think we're in the same car. They're not going to know, are they? I, I rather like driving the bowl, I must admit. But only in recent years have they introduced, a, I think it's a 100 mile an hour speed limit. Because there was a time when I used to do some, uh, record some road tests on that. And, and I uh, happily remember recording things at 130, 140, 150. Uh, up on the bowl and that wasn't even on the top because that was reserved for the real uh, heroes the real professionals my right in thinking there's a certain speed you can drive on the bowl isn't there in a certain lane where you can actually take your hands off the wheel lane three at 70 you can just let go basically not that i've (laughs) ever uh, attempted to do it but as andrew will will well know i always miss the exits there anyway i'm always going too quick (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> go round again go round again it must take a leap of faith to do that i tell you i i, I don't think i'd be letting go in another way there'd be a, there'd be a terrible smell in the cabin <laughs> I, I did the bowl one year in a in an arctic and i said to the instructor when we got out big mercedes rig and i said to the instructor when we got out i had a guy from spirit as it happens uh on the back bench recording it all and i said to the the, the guys we got out you know does it feel any different fully loaded? He said, well, you've got 40 tonne of concrete blocks in there. How much fully loaded do you want? <laughs> Crikey. If you've not come across this place before, it's worth a Google, to be completely honest. It's something that gets used quite a lot for um, journos when you want to go on a on a test day. Sometimes you can film in there or, or, or record in there. Sometimes you can't because they quite often have prototypes and, and such driving around. But it's worth a Google just to have a look at the size of the thing. It is huge huge um, there's an alpine course which you quite often see in his various different car reviews and videos and such so sorry if i've sport the magic here for you um they're not always in a, in, in a beautiful road somewhere abroad um but they if you see the car on its own um, zigzagging through an alpine route it's quite possible it's there also where they filmed um james bond where they rolled the dbs um they tried several times to roll the dbs and it wouldn't roll because it was it was far too stable there to eventually sort of fire it up in the in the air to make it flip um, but yeah, it's a, it's a really cool place. If you get the opportunity to go, do. And if not, it's definitely worth a Google. Now, I was on the internet this week and I found something which I knew would immediately make Jim horny. 
and that is the opportunity to do a track day in a proper genuine Jordan F1 car. And I think that probably gave you the fizz, didn't it? Oh, that's that. That's the other link you sent me. That's not the first link you sent me. That's, <laughs> that was somebody different, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, okay. it was something entirely different. But yeah, this is a it's a fair chunk of change. But would you? Damn right. Uh, what the f- the first to the link second or link. the second link? No, to the second oh, link. Right. The, fir- okay. the yeah, first right, link. Got you. Um, yes. Uh, no. It looked oh, it, it looked like uh, an absolutely cracking day out. I mean, I've always said when uh, when I win the lottery, but uh, also recently I've found myself thinking that when you say to somebody when COVID is over, it's starting to sound very much like when I win the lottery. Um, but yes, <laughs> when I win the lottery and COVID is over, so this is uh, this is double jeopardy. It seemed like a. a, a uh, an absolutely cracking day out because it's uh, you know there are very few human beings on this planet who get the chance to to drive a formula one car so for uh, actually when when you look at the price of it because i think it, it starts at you know a thousand odd pounds and it's it's anything upwards depending on what you're going to spend you know four grand five grand plus for a chance four to grand have a go 30 and, laps uh well that's not bad i think that's good value for money bearing in mind that the price of the car how how much is the uh, the insurance collision damage waiver? Because that's probably <laughs> just as relevant to the whole conversation as well. You know, from from driving the Nurburgring in uh, in a left hand drive clear as it happens. It was one of my very first times on track. Was um, you know probably only about the sixth or seventh time I'd been on track was the Nurburgring on a slightly wet day in a left hand drive car. So that was entertaining. But um, <laughs> yeah, the you know the the cost of actually hiring a car and pelting round for a lap is is relatively cheap. It's when you get it wrong and hit a barrier that's when it gets expensive. So mm. I'll, be, I'll be keen to know what the repair bills are. But no, to, to get a chance to have a go in something like that would would just be absolutely phenomenal. So if uh, you know if if you're keen on uh, sponsoring this podcast again, and you know <laughs> if if four and a half thousand of you want to send us a pound each, or just one of one of you wants to send us four and a half thousand pounds, or any ratio in between, then uh, all donations gratefully received because that 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 would just be staggering to uh, to have a go in that but it's uh, it's nice that that things like that are available you know it's a bit of a a risk i'd say but i'd imagine there's a, a build-up to it like anything the single seater thing i did at brands hatch seems like a long time ago now but uh, time is uh, variable at the moment you know there was you had time with an instructor in a saloon car to uh, to get you used to it and make sure you know he could make sure you knew your way around and whatever else before they let you let you lose so you don't you'd learn a lot as well i think well they, they do this beforehand so you go out in a single seater um and you you have proper instruction before you you let loose in a formula one car as you probably expect um so i guess you get that uh, to it but i'm trying to work because at the moment it's costing me every day we're home and i spent some time working from home uh last week as I mentioned before we have to go into work sometimes as well but it's costing five pounds a day roughly to put all the heating on all the other bits and pieces in my house so if you had to do that a lot it wouldn't take that long before it built up enough to if you didn't want to have heating on go out and, and drive a formula one car and i suppose yeah you pay your money you take your choice don't you cut your cloth and all the rest of it some things are more important you own more clothes than you are currently wearing so rather than putting the heating on wear more clothes you've already spent the money on them there you go that's it that's the start point for an awful lot of people in Formula One, is it not? Unless you've got a billionaire father, the only other route is is to be uh, so penniless and uh, but so good that somebody eventually will give you a drive in an F1 car. Uh, and we have bred some champions in this country uh, on that basis. Absolutely, completely impecunious, but they've still shown enough talent to finish up in an F1 car, some some of them not for very long, but um, you know we're not all uh, we don't all have billionaire fathers who um, can buy the team and oh by the way buy Aston Martin no not a Aston Martin buy all Aston Martins you know <laughs> to be fair if my dad was a billionaire that's uh, exactly what he'd be doing so uh, yeah there we go but it's, uh, <laughs> I do wonder how much they uh, they tone the car down because they uh, I think flicking through the specs it's a uh, a Judd v10 engine in the back i mean it's still north of 600 mm. brake horsepower but it's obviously just toned mm. down that that little bit to make it more reliable and uh, be able to run for longer between rebuilds it's a 2006 10, i think Was 2010 it older than that, I so, uh, a bit no older than that because it's uh the narrower no you're right of course one, it is. isn't it 
Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that 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 was peak V10 screaming era, nineteen and a half thousand RPM. So that yeah, that would it. have been that would have been nine hundred brake horsepower with the uh, the period engine in the back of it. So yeah, the the Judd the Judd V10 um, slightly detuned and, and more reliable. The other question mark as well. I wonder what compound of tyres and brake material as well. You know, Formula One brakes need to be. 800 degrees plus in order to work or they, they just simply don't work and the tyres you know need to be 60 70 80 90 degrees plus in order to work properly and, uh, and of course if you're not driving it fast you don't get any heat in the brakes no heat in the tyres you have no grips you can't drive it fast so you, you need to instantly get on it if if that's the the materials and the rubber that you're running with so whether they fit slightly more um uh compliant brakes and uh tyres with a wider operating window in them. I'm not quite sure. I would imagine they would. but They just use Fiesta brakes. Uh, Goodwood, they use uh, all the F1 teams at the Festival of Speed use um, uh, wet weather tyres. And they, they do so because they're full tread. And when I asked one of the engineers why, he said, well, they simply make more noise and more smoke. <laughs> that's, well, that's, that's a demonstration run. That's what they want there. So uh, yeah. and, and similarly, they're using rather softer pads than, uh, than is the normal case. I would just like to hear it. I would just like to be in the cockpit listening, just in the seat, and just hear the noise of the engine behind me because I, t- I can't think of anything else that's going to give you that same noise. So driving experience aside, just the, the sound of it, what, what must it sound like being sat that close to an engine without a roof over the top and without you know, a, a glass screen behind you and, and the various different bits and pieces you get on a road car because you, know, you can drive plenty of cars have the engine behind you anything from an r8 on down to an mr2 there's there's lots of cars and you get that experience it's quite it's quite enjoyable to have the the engine directly behind your head but you don't you could never get that sound of a v10 in the open as it were a race tuned v10 behind you it must sound incredible mustn't it try gt40 that's noisy enough and that cooks your backside at the same time that would be a good day out Just to digress a bit, which is I know is unusual for us, um, I've some lots of friends who are into lots of different cars, and I've been lucky to go out in a number of different different cars and experience them. One guy drove well. How should I put this? He was a keen driver. Everything he did was relatively spirited, but he always did very well, and he seemed to have very good dissipation. Long story short, you're happy to go out in the car with him. There was one car that we went out in, and he treated it with incredible respect. And this was a, uh, a rough or roof 911 Porsche. Absolutely incredible. And it's just been bought, that very car, funny enough, by Becky Evans, who you, you may have seen uh, drifting around making lots of uh, smoky skids. But genuinely, and uh, an, an incredible piece of kit. That was a left hooker. And I was sat inside in what would normally be the driver's seat. So at country road speeds, we were, we were disappearing off and it got very very hot inside there to the extent where it seemed to melt the front of my shoes i've never had a car do that but what a car incredible piece of kit but i I was not expecting that and the same thing when you get into a a car that has the pipes down the side so if you've ever been in a a dodge viper the same thing happens you sat there and after a, a long drive it gets very hot on one of your legs yeah c type jaguar is is about the same the road going c types were basically just detuned versions of the brace C-types. They had an exhaust pipe that basically cooked you. You didn't want more than a couple of hours in it, Max. And certainly you didn't want to do a 24-hour Le Mans. A friend of mine owned a, um, a decatted TVR Cerbera, and I can speak from experience and say the air conditioning had its work cut out, trying to cool the inside of that thing down. It was like mm. an oven, no matter what you did. But my God, the experience was like nothing else. That was probably the closest thing to a... A, a racing car for the road other than something like a caterham that you're ever going to get in no driver aids no airbags no abs no traction control just a very long travel throttle pedal and a lot of heat and it uh, certainly focuses the mind that thing i tell you perhaps it was wild smell of hot- glue <laughs> glue that sounds perfect to me. Yeah. glue and despair yes <laughs> <laughs> glue and financial hardship inbound <laughs> yeah I took a neighbour out in a C-Type years and years ago, and uh, he was a very uh, mild driver. He had a, a Mercedes 250 or something, 
And uh, I, I took him down to the local village just to, to show off this toy that I'd been loaned. And uh, he phoned his wife up when we got to the village and said, can you come and collect me? I hate it. I hate this thing. <laughs> it's, 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 it's too noisy. There's too much vibration. It's, I mean, this was on cross-ply tyres. So, you know, every roundabout was a, was a wonderful adventure. I, I loved it. It's still one of my favourite all-time cars in a, you know, a ridiculously long driving career. And I'd have one like a shot, but it wasn't for him. Well, it turns out it wasn't just the C-Type, was it? Because it was the, you know, the Jaguar, the Volvo, the Honda Record, all of them, which uh, you got to the other end and said, I hate it, come and pick me up after you've driven him down to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, is, uh, is that C-Type the, uh, the perfect car for today you know we have uh, driver aids and collision avoidance this and radar guided this that the other which means you don't need to pay attention which is how accidents happen whereas if a car makes you pay attention otherwise it'll hurt uh, or it'll end up in pieces is uh, is that not a good thing yeah it's it's, it's going to hurt big time if you get it completely wrong and in, in that respect you you do exercise a great deal more caution uh I'm trying to think that with the what was the Nissan Twin Turbo, the 300 that I decided uh, to drive. Yeah, down. 300. Yeah, I drove it down an icy road, lit both turbos up, and um, it made an interesting pirouette down the road. And I managed to keep it out of both dishes more by luck than judgment. So it taught <laughs> me a lesson. Well, there you go. As, uh, as Rishi seems uh, keen on paying everybody most of their money to stay at home, shall we? Uh, shall we? He's obviously a generous chap, and uh, when things got a little bit better, he started chipping in and, uh, and paying for our meals. You know, we had we had to buy the drinks, but he bought some of the food. So, shall we? Shall we petition him and just say, look, give give everybody a Jaguar C-Type. Uh, every motorist swap the car for a Jaguar C-Type. See what happens to road accidents and deaths for a year, and uh, and then we'll go from there. Skyrocket because everybody out there thinks they can drive now at. Uh ridiculous speeds and do and do and and you know it, it just the the litany of bad driving one sees every day when one is normally on the roads uh is just extraordinary on that note in fact i would like to, to talk about something that's sort of the other end of the scale no driver aids in fact it doesn't really have very much on it at all apart from a heater and a heated rear windscreen and a dock for your phone. Uh, have you guys seen the Citroen Ami? The Amy, Ami. The Ami 6. Amy. The, the new one that's just come out. Ah. The quadricycle, as they call it. No. This thing is pretty incredible. And if you've not seen it it's again, the sound of a man furiously Googling in the background. <laughs> yeah. So basically, this car is the same forward as it is backwards. It's got the same at either end. It has one door that opens in the conventional manner. And because it's the same both ways... Uh, it has the other one open in a suicide fashion on the other side in france you can drive these aged 14 on the road they're completely electric it charges up from a three pin plug in a couple of hours and does about 28 miles an hour so not so fast that you can get yourself into a whole load of bother um, but again no kind of drive raids in there at all now i think these things are really cool and they're designed in a sort of hard plastic fashion to be an alternative to public transport in fact, you might even be able to lease one for about the equivalent of 30 quid a month um, if you're in France. I don't think I'm going to bring them over to this country, which seems like a bit of a shame because the Renault Twizy was a hoot to drive if entirely pointless, it had no, no doors, unless you paid extra for them. But then you had to take the windows out when you were to open the door. So anyway, another story. I think these things are really cool. Um, and if you want to see what they look like, head over to UK Motor Talk now and have a look and see and we'll pop some pictures up of the uh, Ami, so you can see it. I think this thing's pretty funky. I'm, uh, I'm just looking that up now. I'd, uh, I'd have one of those. I think that's mm. brilliant. It's got, what, a 50, 47-ish mile range, something like that. Yeah. That looks uh, spot on. That'd do. I think you can earn one if you're, if you're not very careful, because if I remember rightly, this was a piece of legislation I read somewhere recently that was introduced in France, that if you were done for drunk driving... You had to drive yep. one of these when you got your license back. You had to drive one of these for the first year uh, and pass a test again in that before you were allowed back into a regular car. So, uh, oh no, uh, you can drive these if you don't have a driving license. So, if you've lost your driving license, you can I was still say, drive this, one. This does look like the sort of car that it is legal to drink drive in. 
because it just <laughs> well, simply doesn't count as a car. <laughs> it was ever the same in France, wasn't it? That was it was. I know the two CV was basically about uh, carrying a basket of eggs over a ploughed field, but any time I got in a two CV when I was hitchhiking around France in the seventies, they were all being driven by drunk farmers, <laughs> and they seemed to survive somehow. There is no yeah. non-drunk farmer in France, in my experience. <laughs> Going out just after lunchtime is, is a bit of a hazard, it has to be said. But yeah, these things you can drive in France with the equivalent of, it's like a CBT, and from age 14 onwards. I think if you live in a city, it's a cracking idea. The idea being, like, say, you wouldn't buy one necessarily, they're about six grand if you wanted to buy one outright. Um, but you would use it on a, a pay-to-use basis, take, pick it up from somewhere, drop it off somewhere else, and then walk away from it so you don't have to get on a, a bus. I think it's a, a great idea. If you drive around central London, then it takes you hours to do a, a few miles, doesn't it? So you're not going to be going particularly fast. And it's light, it's small, it hasn't got any bits and pieces on it to make it heavy, so you can zip away from the traffic lights. Why not? I think that's pretty cool. This has got the, the front and rear body panels. Uh, they're... they're coloured plastic so there's no painting costs Uh, and if you do need to replace one of them you just unbolt it and bolt another one on but the front and rear panels and both doors are identical that's right that's why one opens the other way so the hinges are always on the same side so that makes life easy so no more hunting around for if you've got a left or a right hand one it doesn't matter if you've got a front or a rear one it doesn't matter and actually, you could you could have a really nice conversation. So, say the uh, say you were sat in the lay-by in one of those, and the uh, the lady post person uh, in her Citroen Amy Amy pulled in and bumped it. You you could simply take the undamaged panels off her car, put yep. them on your car, and that's it. Off she goes, and then she's got a damaged car, but it's fine because she did the damage. So, if you ran up the back of someone, you just say, "Oh, I'm terribly sorry," and you take the back off your car and give it to them, and off you go, and that'd be fine. <laughs> That's an interesting... It should be called retribution, I think, with a policy <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a good idea. You just know what's going to happen aged 14, and you're going to go out, and you're going to be larking about with your mates, and you're going to accidentally bump something at the front, and you're going to go, what am I going to tell my parents? You know, they, I, I need to prove that I'm responsible enough to spend £30 a month on this car. And you go, I know. <laughs> I will just swap the back end of the front end over and say someone hit me up the back and drove off. Spot on. <laughs> That, that sounds like a like a friend of mine who crashed his car into an Armco barrier whilst uh, attempting some exuberant driving, and then simply said, "Oh, I parked up, and somebody came back, and uh, and they crashed into it." But there we go. Uh, for for mm. info on the Citroen.co.uk website, you can express your interest because they say that they might bring it here if enough people want it. I'm going to go on the Citroen website and express myself now. <laughs> it's uh, no, I'm going to say the more I look at this Citroen Ami thing, it it. This looks cracking. It's really cool. That's brilliant. I can't say that I particularly like Citroëns because, frankly... They're French. It's not that, I think they're really cool to look at. I really do. I think they've come out with some, some really interesting cars, much like the DS and everything else. The Cactus. It's, it's different, but by the same token... What, in the same way that gonorrhea and herpes are different? Well, yes. You know, it, it makes a refreshing change, but you wouldn't necessarily want it. Uh, uh, <laughs> what gonorrhea makes a refre- gonorrhea makes a refreshing change from her. From well, you know, but yeah, I can't say I particularly want a Citroen. They make some quite interesting stuff in terms of how it looks. I think they make some quite cool-looking cars, whether you like them or not, and maybe some cool features. Like I used to quite like the fact the C4 steering wheel, the centre stayed in one place and the outside went round. It was just a bit different. Would I want one because of that? No, I don't think I would. This, I genuinely think, yes, if I lived in a city, I would happily drive that around, because why not? Yeah. Because it's a quadricycle, though, it doesn't have to adhere to all the year cap safety tests, bits and pieces. So you do wonder what it'd be like to be squashed between a bus and something else in there. I suspect not pleasant. Uh, no, it does look like the uh, the driver's crumple zone is your left knee. But, That's hey. correct. Well, there's it's basically a chassis with a plastic body on top. There's no boot or anything else. Um, you have to slide one of the seats forward and tuck stuff behind. And there are just cubby bins everywhere else that you can wash down and everything else. Um, but I, I, yeah, and it's tiny. It's, if you think about a Citroen C1 being small, it's much smaller than that. But just, I think, quite cool. I'll tell you what I can't wait for would be the uh, the Citroen Ami Racing Challenge. <laughs> yes, well, actually, I'm, I'm be trying to think about 
a corner on a circuit where you'd have to dip below the 28 mile an hour top speed. There can't mm. be many. Maybe they'd have to fit them with, with even skinnier, even slipperier tyres. Wet the track, get it resurfaced by the Turkish Grand Prix people and, uh, and introduce a bit of fun that way. I think it would, it would just it could only purely be getting the right line technique near that point. Hmm. There's no way you're going to need to really slow down. No, but actually I think that, that might almost become then, rather than doing the racing line because it makes the corner the shallowest angle so you keep a higher speed, actually would your new racing line just simply be the shortest way around the track? I.e. Yes. if you're approaching a right-hander, stay on the right-hand side because it's simply a shorter distance to go around the corner. Yeah, OK, yeah. I, I, I see where you're going with that. I'm just trying to imagine what that would be like as you head you know, from Brands down out of Paddock and up to Druids. Yeah, so, so if you, well, you've come, out, you've come out of Clearway's right-hander, stayed to the right. Paddock Hill, you would take flat out, so you wouldn't go all the way to the left before turning in and then running out wide again. So you'd simply stay on the right-hand side of the track all the way from Clearways, all the way round the hairpin, and then only cross over when you, uh, when you turn left through Graham Hill. It's an endurance thing. You'd have to make the race so that it was 40 miles long or something so that people had to preserve some battery as well, and that would add a bit of jeopardy. Yeah, I'm gonna, gonna, if, if there's enough room to put all that in the box when you register your interest with Citroen, that's what I'm <laughs> going to put in the box and just see, uh, see what happens. 300 characters or less. All you need to write is one model race series. Yes. Not even one it. make, just one model race series, and, that, and that's it. Yeah, that sounds like a challenge. Quite literally, sounds like it could be a challenge. One of the things that I think will probably be of interest to many of our uh, listeners is that uh, Goodwood is just about to release tickets for the 2021 event. So clearly they're uh, very confident they're going to run. First of those is the uh, 78th members uh, meeting, which is on the 15th of May. Uh, on the Festival of Speed will be on the 8th, the 11th of July and Revival 17th and 19th of September. And they're uh, basically putting the tickets on sale on the 1st of February. So uh, if you want to go this year, they're confident that they will be able to host large crowds. I believe it when I see it. I think the uh, members' meeting is uh, a little unlikely, but I would certainly like to get back to Festival of Speed again. I'm not sure what the app is. I know a lot of people are going to want to get back to it, and believe me, I really am amongst them. I, I, there's so many things I want to go I've, and do. Yeah, I've, I've missed the Festival of Speed. I really have. But I just don't know what the public appetite would be like for meeting in huge groups yet. I guess we'll find out. While we're talking about Citroens you would own, the last one they made that I think I would quite like would be the C6, you know, the big long limo thing. Would uh, you? Yeah, I don't mind those. In black, they've got that sort of French government minister written all over them. There's something about them that I wouldn't... They're not clever. They're not clever in the same way a CX or a DS was clever and had the funny suspension and all that, but there's something about them. They, they look quite stylish, a bit more sort of Citroen of old, not being willfully stupid-looking for the sake of it. There's a new series of uh, Salvage Hunters classic cars back on your Quest TV channel. Which is I like that for... programme a lot. Mm, I do. The two of them work very well together. I Particularly Paul Cowland is very knowledgeable and very patient under extreme uh, provocation from his little friend from Wales, isn't he? And um, yes. he's the voice of, often the voice of reason, uh, a calm. And uh, one of our Twitter friends, I believe. I think um, we've had some conversations with him in the past. He's a nice guy. Yes, yeah, great series. And they, the first episode was a Citroen DS, quite ratty left-hand drive one. But um, they turned this thing around. It looked fantastic by the time a they finished DS, with that. though. A proper yeah. DS, yeah, not not one of the new ones, which is no yes. one from the nineteen seventies. I am uh, I am flicking through the Citroen page on Wikipedia, looking at well, their entire model history. I, I'm struggling to find something in here I would drive. To no, you see the DS, the original DS. I think that's beautiful, and I would definitely drive that. There are certain French cars which I get it. I totally get it. Alpine, Alpine is one, and I've and I've spoken about Alpine before many many times and i think probably the a110 the current version is the only brand new car that i really lust to own right now i think it is such a great car we saw it at geneva i fell in love with it a bit 
need left a deposit on it. Uh, you know, but I, I really do think genuinely such a great looking little car and such a great driving little car. And I think the original one was was really pretty as well and a, a proper proper weapon of a car as well. And competitively speaking, I think. But but nevertheless, I I, I get that stuff like the two CV. It's not for me. I'm not going to lie. I can understand why some people like it. Different strokes, different folks for the rest of it. But yeah, I, I just don't get on board. And it's the same with, with Peugeot and stuff, really. I had a, a long conversation with someone the other day that was bestowing the virtues of the Peugeot RCZ. Do you remember the, the sort of the coupe thing with a bubble roof? From the back, it looked really quite cool. From the front, looked like a Peugeot big problem and someone referred to it in the comments and I love this so much they referred to it as the Aldi as in A-L-D-I Aldi TT um, which I thought was a great way of looking at it the Aldi TT um, and this guy was saying oh no it's, it's, it's fantastic yeah, it was much better than, than, a, than a TT or whatever and I said oh yeah, what's it running oh, it's a 2 litre diesel like, yeah I can, I can see the appeal of a 2 litre diesel coupe with you know the front end of a, a 208 on it I mean, the back of it, it looks so good. And I looked, I remember seeing one for the first time and I walked up to the back and I thought, oh, that looks fantastic. Looked to the side and I was like, yes, and went to the front. Went, oh, <laughs> that, that's a real shame. But yeah, the Aldi TT, there you go. I, I, that really did, that really got me. I, I loved it. Flicking through Wikipedia here, there is a picture of a Maserati on that page for some reason, so I'll have that. Or uh, or my second choice is the uh, is the Citroen Okay, I'm going to spell this now just for uh, for safety's sake. F-U-K-A-N-G. So that's the f***ing. The f***ing. Oh, is this one they make for China? Oh, it actually Good. is called yeah. the f***ing. F***ing. It's technically a dong feng. So it's a dong feng f***ing. <laughs> Citroen f***ing hatchback. D- do people walk up to you and go, what's that f***ing thing over there? <laughs> It's a fucking hatchback. Fantastic fucking car. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any fucking dealers around here? Or I can get one. <laughs> that is fucking fast. <laughs> the fucking one make racing challenge. <laughs> Typing that into Google or eBay or anything to try and get bits for your car. It's gone <laughs> wrong. Can't fucking fucking bits. Ah, <laughs> oh, we can continue like this. All day. And guess where the f*** is built? Oh, China, by any chance. Wuhan. Wuhan. <laughs> <laughs> it's got everything oh, no. going for it, hasn't it? Oh, no. Good news. I found the worst <laughs> thing to come out of Wuhan province. So, with that, I think we've probably reached the end of the f***ing programme. And uh, it's been great to chat to you guys. I mean, what else is there to do at the minute? So, from me, Mike, it's good night. From me, Jim, good night. Stay safe. It's goodbye from me, Graham, and uh, happy motoring whenever we can possibly get back on the road. And I've been David. I hope you have a safe couple of weeks and look forward to seeing you in a fortnight's time. Take care. Don't go too far. And if you want to find us otherwise online, you know where you can get us at UK Motor Talk on Twitter, Facebook and Insta. UKMotorTalk.co.uk where we've got lots of cracking content and you can check out our back catalogue if you like. And in the meantime, stay safe and we'll see you soon. Bye. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production. There's a f***ing taxi here as well. Look at that. (laughs) Blimey. (laughs)